right now the prevailing attitude is more aligned with your attitude, which is like all the programming languages, like there's not one right way to do things, that all the programming languages have value and we should all be learning from each other. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 107, recorded on November 2nd, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we continue part two of our conversation with Jane Lazari Lesby on the Rust programming language. Be sure to check out part one, link in the description if you haven't yet. The, so the difference between intuitor and iter is intuitor is a trait. Iter is a function with a name that is like by convention. And so intuitor like you went with a vec, you can take a reference to a vec and call and like put that in parentheses. And like, so ampersand vec variable identifier parentheses dot into iter. And that will do the reference to into iter like input, like trait implementation. So it's like for like a reference to any type that implements into iter will do, I, th I think it might actually be a direct implementation on reference to vec. I'm not positive on that one. Um, Whereas iter is just a free function associated with the vec or possibly the slice type um, that will just basically do the exact same thing that or if you like were to give it a reference in front of it, when you call the into iter, it's going to give you a like iterating over references iterator. Whereas you call iter, it's always going to just do the iterating through references iterator. And so calling iter is useful in situations where you don't want to have to deal with like adding that reference at a time. You just want the auto ref to like handle getting through going through the slice or dereferencing or whatever is necessary because it like it knows the exact type it's going to be resolved right. to versus into iter it's generic receiver and so it can you could run into inference errors sometimes or you or might end up like iterating by owner like owned values or something um and like into iter is more flexible in that, that like you can have like owned iteration or non-owned iteration and it's actually implicitly called in for loops so when you put when you add the iterable item to the like the the second expression the for loop so you have four variable identifier in expression um, that is expected to be a type that implements into iter and iterators like the iterator trait is like reflexively implemented for intuitor so if you give it an iterable type it just automatically is itself um, or I guess that's an identity conversion um, and but like if you were to just give it a vec with behind a reference like a variable name to the vec behind with an ampersand in front of it, then it will iterate by reference. If you did a mutable reference in front of that vec, it would iterate by mutable reference. If you just did the vec itself, it will take the vec by like owned value, take it apart and iterate by value and destroy the original vec in the process. And it's like, all you have to do is like what reference you put in front of that variable determines how it gets iterated by the intuitor trait. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think one of the times that um, Clippy modified it from an into iter to iter was when I was using the Windows function, which I think was returning slices or something like that. So that makes sense then because it was potentially unnecessary what I was doing there. Cool. I have a question now. Mm -hmm. How do you um, how do you write um traits in Rust? Like, how do you express a, a constraint? The, the way that it's done in C++, I find very um, quirky. 
So in C++, you, it's done essentially through these like usage patterns where you, um, uh, you say like, oh, suppose I have a, um, an object X of this type that I'm constraining. And then, uh, you have to be able to be able to call, you know, this thing on X and then that thing on X. And if you call this thing on X, it returns this type. Um, so, so what's it like in, in Rust? How do I, how do I describe a trait in, in Rust? So it's, I can't remember like the, like the formal terms, but like basically instead of describing what the, the type needs to conform to you, it's, it's kind of like an abstract class sort of thing. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're describing the interface Yes. and when you implement it, you implement that interface within the impl block of the trait. So for like normally if you're if you're defining like a free function for a type, you like open up a block that's like impl type and then open bo- open block. And within that is where your functions go and you ha- you can like have a self as what one of your parameters and that's going to refer to the type in the impl block, et cetera, et cetera. When you're doing the trait function implementations, you're going to do impl trait for type. And but otherwise it's going to be the same thing, but like the functions in there are going to be only the functions that are defined in the trait. You can't just put like random functions in there. And if you like implement that exact function in like a just a normal impl block, it doesn't get associated with the trait. It, it is like it has to be in the traits impl block. And I, I, you might be able to have the same function name in two places and then just cause like fun ambiguity errors where you have to like specify the like the long form like at like type as trait colon colon function name or something like that. Um pretty sure that works, but not recommended most of the time. It's probably just gonna gotcha. cause problems. So that, that that that's sort of how I want to be able to write concepts in C but can't. And there were proposals at some point in the history of uh of C that allowed you to write concepts like that, but um they went away. Um uh is the Polite and simple way to say that. If I could, if I could ask a question about C plus plus, how's the pattern matching proposal or the patterns proposal going? I know there was like some work there. It's not. It's not C C plus plus twenty nine. Hopefully, the, the thing is that a lot of um, development of a large part of the the feature set of C plus plus has stalled because the the. Um, the C++ committee process was not well prepared for the pandemic and the C++ committee um, a- admirable attempts were made to adjust to the new world. But um, the reality is that a lot of work uh, stalled out um, over mm-hmm. the past two years. So there's a proposal that two years ago like looked like it was on track, but um, I don't have... I don't have high hopes for things that have not made progress in the past two years, even if they were in good shape two years ago, because it's disruptive. Um, it's disruptive. Best practices can change. I think people are maybe surprised to hear that, but the the best practices, you know, within even within a big language like C that moves slowly, the best practices do evolve. Um, like we. The people who are building the language, we learn over time, um, mostly through making mistakes. And then we're like, well, you know, we don't want to do that again. So, you know, yeah. we should do this instead. And so the best practices evolve. And then the, the more time that your thing goes without being updated, the further and further away it is from the state of the art. 
Um, and, uh, and that, that makes it harder for something to come back, even if it was mature before. And I think that this is ultimately what happened to some of the bigger features of C++ and recent memory that have, um, that have stalled out or that the committee has, has in some way rejected. Um, like the, uh, the, the networking TS is, is one. It was something that was evolved in the, you know, mid 2010s and, uh, we published a TS on it and we got it pretty close to being ready to go into the standard. Um, but then the best practices, you know, changed a lot. And, um, uh, then there was resistance to updating it. And also it was a big thing. So, um, you know, when you've got a big proposal that nobody on the core team has looked at in two years, it's going to take a while for everybody to get familiar with the thing again. Oh yeah. Um, and then that means that it takes longer to get started working on it again. And so then it becomes more out of date and it just, it, if you're not constantly making progress on a thing, uh, uh, if it, it, it's more likely than not going to become abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I know that from library team work, like it's the longer the gaps between reviews, the the more just the more difficult yeah. it is for like everyone involved. Or it's, it's like we see this a lot um, with like software updates, like uh, at NVIDIA, um, it's been a, a, um, a struggle over the years for me to get um, various internal teams and SDKs to move to newer compiler versions and to drop older compiler versions. Um, and, and one thing that we repeatedly see is that the, um, if you update from, you know, upstream once a month, um, versus once a year, um, you're actually doing less work if you're doing it once a month. You might think, oh, well, well, we update once a year and like, you know, it'll be 12 times as much work. Um, than updating once a month, but it's actually probably more like, you know, 20 times or, or 40 times, um, yeah. because, uh, the, 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 the cost of making all those changes, um, uh, all at once instead of doing them incrementally is far greater. Um, and you don't really, um, you're not able to start making changes, um, uh, uh, sort of naturally as things evolve, you end up in the situation where you're like, oh, now we have to do this whole big refactor to update to the newer thing. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, that takes time. And then that means that it's longer until you've updated to the newer thing. Then there's more changes that you have to deal with. And again, you end up in this uh, death spiral of uh, of sadness. <laughs> I mean, on that negative note... <laughs> You did still highlight it in your top three. Bryce just gave a keynote a week ago at O3DCon in Texas. And one of his top three future C++ features was pattern matching. So Yeah. That's good stuff. Those top three features that I highlighted were um, a reflection, um, pattern matching, and um, and senders. And uh, I mean, I senders think like channels? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say yeah, and there are a bunch of people who I work with who um, may be upset at me, but yeah, you you have the basic idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that those are the 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 most transformative things that C could do outside of, um, you know, ob- obviously I think uh, a, 
the whole question of package ecosystem is probably more transformable. I've said for like a while, the most single most important thing C++ committee could do is to figure out a story for the packaging ecosystem. Um, and then improving the C++ committee evolution process. Yeah. Um, I, I saw something on Twitter earlier today um, that really stuck with me, which was, a, was something in the effect of um, junior engineers think about how are we going to solve this technical problem? How are we going to do this thing? How are we going to execute this thing? Um, whereas senior engineers think about, is this team positioned for success? Like, do they have the support that they need? Are they, are they, um, uh, are there, their metrics and their KPIs set up in a way that they're going to be successful? Um, are they happy, et cetera? Um, and, uh, that really rang true with me. Um, and, that's one of the reasons why I care so much about the uh, the health and the um, what's the word I'm looking for and the modernness of the evolution process of a project mm-hmm. um, because if if your thing can't evolve and improve, it doesn't matter how good it is. Eventually, other things that can evolve and improve faster will outpace it. Yeah. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean I didn't even when I was listening off all the stuff I didn't even mention. Yeah, the package system crates, crates.io. Yeah. Although I, I I do have a bone to pick with Rust here. Oh. Um. So my understanding is that the Rust. Uh, crate system is uh, still as a model where everything is built from source, yes? Yes. And there's no binary distribution? Uh, no, but they're, they're, they're looking at starting a project yeah. right now for uh, uh, a safe AVI. So there's like, an, like we're going to look into trying to find a way to have a subset of the language that we can expose as like a stable API, AVI without having the entire like dying linked ABI be stabilized. Yeah. So, so my, my, my bone to pick here is essentially, um, I don't think that, I don't think it's sustainable in the long term to have a package ecosystem that's solely from source. And it's for two reasons. Um, one is, uh, a scale. Um, as you get up to building at, you know, larger and larger scales. Um, it's increasingly difficult to build everything from source. Now, of course, for a language like Rust, where you know the static analysis is sort of a key, a key element of the language, this um, uh, you know this is of course a challenge. Um, but the other piece is um, uh, closed source code, which, uh, while I am an open source person and have pretty much only worked on open source projects my entire career, including m- most of my time at Nvidia. Um, uh, you know, the reality is that closed source is out there. And, um, I think for Rust to, uh, uh, be truly successful and become a top, you know, five or a top three language, um, it will need to, uh, support, um, that part of the ecosystem as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for Rust really to truly to truly become one of those top languages, it's not sufficient to just have all those closed source projects be um, 
limited to, oh, well, you have to expose your closed source stuff through a C ABI, you know, or, or C++ ABI. I think people are going to want to write things natively in Rust. Um, and so that that is that is one thing that I, uh, I, I've said for a few years I would expect Rust to uh, uh, to to evolve on, um, and I'm I'm glad to see that there's now some uh, some movement in that direction. So n- not not as uh, not as fiery of a debate as I was <laughs> as I was aiming for. Yeah. We're all just like, yeah, this this yeah, it's working on it. It's it's like, I mean, it's a baby project. It's, it's like a long yeah. way from like even even having anything to show for it yet. But it's it's definitely. There's, you're not the only person I think who wants that. I, I, uh, I definitely am much more on the open source side, but so like I have like, it's not my priority to 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 work on support close support stuff personally. Um, though I understand that people want to work that way, I just don't think it's as effective a way to work. But you know, we don't need to get into an ideological yeah. debate. Um, and but yeah, it's 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 there's definitely plenty of reasons even beyond those like just like binary size, like being able to yeah. not have like the same dependency duplicated in every application that uses it and things like that, where it's like Rust needs to be able to do it. And so yeah. there's, there's no, there's no debate there. Yeah. So Jane, do you remember um, that we actually met uh, once before and it, I think it was at an LVM. Yeah. LVM developer meetup 2019, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't, I think at the time you were just like starting your, your yeah. rust explorations. You weren't like yeah. a full convert yet. No, I was, yeah, it was still, that was still when I worked at scale. So I was still a professional C++ developer. I think I was like quite well and deeply into the hyper-focus on rust. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, you know, not, not necessarily on like on the libs team or anything like that yet. Um, I think I was, I think I might've already been on the Clippy team at that point. Um. I remember hanging out with Tyler. I think you were because I, I seem to recall you um, uh, talking with great glee about uh, Clippy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. I, I, I enjoyed that trip. <laughs> Connor, what else should we talk about? There, I, I, there's there's the the Shinkansen. Uh, no, no, we're not, we're not getting we're not getting to that yet. So I recently heard Bjarna Struestra. I got I got to share something that my girlfriend just texted me. And I got I have to disappeared. Just, I just have to pray to God that she never listens to this podcast. Oh no! <laughs> so, um, does this have a backstory? I thought you were just going to read us a text, my guy. <laughs> it has a backstory. I'm really the backstory. We have, okay, how long so, is this so backstory? So our, our dog, our dog, oh, um, very smart. Oh my goodness! I can't. I'm not airing this. I'm not airing this. And I, I just got a text from the girlfriend. This is the worst. Literally, you know. So this is what happened, Jane. Bryce has just gone downhill as the co-host ever since episode it, zero. True. <laughs> and so the beginning. I, no, no, no. I, I went. I went. I went up because episode zero. I didn't have a proper microphone. Then I bought the good microphone. So then episode one. That was really where I peaked. And from yeah. there, wait. So when you said episode one hundred and one, that wasn't like a. This is a beginner course. This is like the beginning of the Rust learning. It was actually the hundredth oh, yeah. and first. That was the hundred and first episode. Wait, did yeah. You, did you aim that to be? Oh no, that was totally an accident. And I That's just nice. realizing now that 
the we, the 101 episode correspond to us trying to learn stuff. That, that was literally totally... You, you trying to learn something and me apparently teaching it to you. Yeah, but I've been threatening Bryce for like episode 90 to 100 when we had Kate Gregory on. Uh, because Bryce was like eating his dinner and kept on interrupting and, uh, you know, asked Kate a question about the cabin she was in, let her get four words into the question and then like interrupted her to tell her something about his dog. And I was like, Bryce, what are you doing? And then I said, you're on, you're on thin ice. And then I said, I'm going to start trying out new co-hosts. Then I went (laughs) and did, I tried out a new co-host, former co-host of CPP cast, Jason Turner. And then Bryce last week said, because uh, I, in, I indicated that I might have recorded without him. And then it, I could just tell Bry- Bryce was heartbroken. He was just like, don't record without me. And now here I am being like, you know what? I did the right thing, Bryce. You're back on thin ice. <laughs> Except <laughs> this might not even air because people are just going to be confused on why I'm giving you a hard time uh, because they won't have heard the story that you just told. Because <laughs> it's, it's inappropriate, Bryce. <laughs> Clean up your act. You can just like cut right after he's like, I'm gonna tell you the story, and then just cut to like, we're not airing that. <laughs> All right, back to the question that I had. So, this is gonna be we're entering hot take territory. We'll okay. see what we can get out uh, from Jane. Recently on episode uh, 155, which really they only started it recording them at like episode 120 of another podcast called C Club, Bjarna Strustrup. They just, it's like a Zoom meeting and they just record it. So Bjarna sometimes joins, uh, creator of the C++ language. I assume everyone knows that. And at some point in the podcast, it comes, Bjarna ends up saying, I don't even really re- remember the lead up to it. They end up making a joke about Rust saying that, oh, Rust is good because we don't want to get like, you know, downvoted on the internet uh, by saying something bad about Rust. And then Bjarna says, oh yes, the Rust community is much better at propaganda than C++. The Rust people are very, very good at uh, propaganda. Yeah. Far, far better than the C++ crowd. And I was a bit confused because I've only been dabbling around in this language for like a week and a bit. And from my experience, it's just better in a lot of ways. That doesn't <laughs> seem like propaganda to me. That just seems like you got a better story. So I think Bjarna is almost certainly referring to what I talked about earlier, which is the memory safety thing. That that um, uh, how is that propaganda though? Because for whatever reason, I think some people uh, of the in the C plus plus community feel that um, that the memory safety aspect of Rust is nonsense in some way or that we can achieve the same effect in C++ or something to that effect. But 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 my 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 strong suspicion is that what was meant by that is 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 a hyper focus on uh on on the 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 question of like memory safety. And and I'll prove it to you because almost all of the response from someone like Bjarna to Rust has been around Improving memory safety in C++. Like, oh, people are concerned about, you know, this one aspect. Like, th- this is the problem. This is the problem with C++ is that it's not a memory safe language. And if we solve that problem, then all of C++'s problems will be solved. Everything will be perfect. What's Jane? Well, Jane, what's your take? And, and also to layer on top of the question, 
because you're inside the Rust community and like part of a couple of the um, Rust teams. Is there like inside of Rust? Are you aware that people outside of Rust think that you guys have a propaganda machine? Well, okay, okay. This is one, Wait. one, one person, one person. I mean, I do get a sense that like a lot of C plus plus, especially on slash the subreddit C plus plus subreddit, like they just they don't want to hear anything about Rust. Like they're they're uninterested in what Rust Rust devs and the lessons that Rust people have learned have to share. Um, and as like a polyglot that loves all programming languages, including, you know, some of the most widely hated programming languages like Perl. I love Perl. Perl's great. You know, very similar to Python in a lot of ways that people seem to be refusing to acknowledge. But anyway, so uh, I find that kind of just like that's just hurting us by doing that. And so I'm just interested, like from like a Rust insider's point of view, is this news to you? Does do people inside the Rust community are they are they aware and any inside details you could share, I'm sure. I know I would be interested to hear, and some of our listeners, I'm sure. So there's, there's a meme in the Rust community, and I think you can Google this and see some really beautiful, some really funny and hilarious vaporwave art mm-hmm. um, about the Rust Evangelism Strike Force, the RESF. Ooh. There's is I this think, a real thing? Yeah, there's like subreddits to it too. Um, <laughs> so we're definitely very aware of this. Uh, this kind of perception and i think there's definitely i think rust has a tendency to to get people really excited when they get into it and so like you won't find people on the project going around and evangelizing aggressively i think like if you look at like actual project contributors they're they're they tend to be pretty reserved i think they're i think right now the prevailing attitude is more aligned with your attitude which is like all the programming languages, like there's not one right way to do things that all the programming languages have value and we should all be learning from each other. And that, but like, especially people like new people who are really excited, they're, they're a lot more likely to be like running around and being like, have you heard of Rust? And like that, that, that does happen. I mean, and I'm sure that C++ developers see like other C++ developers who are learning about Rust coming in and being like, well, you should have rewritten a Rust. That would have solved this, this one bug you ran into or something. <laughs> and it's like, you know, not always the most helpful suggestion and it can be exhausting. And there's definitely, I would say, even like within the project, like a pushback against people like actually engaging in like the Rust evangelism strike force or like rewriting in Rust memes and like kind of supporting that because it can be like, a bit counterproductive and um, definitely a preference for kind of mutually supporting other communities and being respectful. Um, so we don't, we like, I don't think there is actively, there's, there's definitely no active propaganda machine within the Rust project. Like I think there are uh, times in the past where we've been a lot better, especially like when we were doing 1.0, I think they were a lot more effective at marketing. I think these days, um, there's there's a lot more chaos and we're not as coordinated in that regard and it's something that we're working on we like if you if you look on the blog post on the blog there's like multiple blog posts over the last year about updating rust governance at the top level uh, which is one of the things i've been involved in um and i'm very excited about and this is like when you're talking bryce about like getting the effective language evolution this was like kind of speaking to my heart because it's like yeah i think i understand how important it is to be able to set up an environment where people can collaborate effectively and it's something that like we struggle with too like i know you, you feel like rust has it all like just like really good at the moment i do think like we're probably in a better spot the i think the difference is um the 
at least I'm aware that there have been some problems in Rust evolution and and, and leadership um, as of late. Um, the difference that I see is the willingness to uh, address and improve things. Um, yeah, I don't see that. I'm sorry. The, the C plus uh, plus. Uh, Did you say I'm sorry? Yeah, like like empathizing, <laughs> not I mean, apologizing. It, that's amazing. Yeah. That's I, I thought you like kind of whispered that, and I was like, oh wow, like that's very nice that you're. <laughs> I, like I, uh, that's unfortunate because uh, it is. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.